0: We are speaking today with Dr. Clay
1: Jones, and we've been talking about his book, Why Does God Allow Evil? And I have a couple more questions about that book, but also we're going to be moving into talking about, I believe, what is a great follow-up book, and it's Immortal, how the fear of death drives us and what we can do about it. And I really do believe that you need to get your hands on both of these books. Take your time reading them. Some of it is difficult to read, but a lot of it is just very profound it's it takes a serious, serious look into very important questions. And I want to encourage you guys to take a look at these books, grab them, read them. I've encouraged everyone in my discipleship group to read this, the both of these books actually. And I, I just I want to encourage you guys to check that out. And that is what we're gonna be talking about today on the Good Fight Radio Show. So we with all of that, we want to welcome Dr. Clay Jones to the show.
2: Well, thank you, Chad. It's a pleasure
1: to be with you. I believe you're working on a book on suffering right now. You just have all these, yes. you know, awesome things that you work on, God allowing evil, death, and suffering. But uh, how will eternity make up for our suffering here?
2: Well, that's that's so important because, as I said, you know, start off with D. Martin Lloyd-Jones saying, most of our troubles are due to a double failure. We fail to understand the depths of sin- our sinfulness, and then we fail to understand the glory, the wonder of what awaits us in eternity. Yeah. Um, you need here's, I can say it in one sentence. Before, well, before I get to that sentence, let me just say, if Christianity is true, and if Jesus really was raised from the dead, which is what the basis of Christianity being true, if Christianity really is true, then then here it is. Eternity will dwarf our suffering to insignificance, <laughs> uh, and I, I think that's as logical as it gets. By the way, uh, you can't compare, uh, you know, let's just say a hundred years of intense suffering in this life uh, to eternal life. You can't, you can't compare it. But people, people don't think through. We don't think about eternity enough, and I get it because I've spent a lot of time over the years thinking about it. But you know, I mean. It, 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 Eternities for I mean forever and ever 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 uh in your suffering here a very finite amount, I'm not minimizing the amount of suffering people suffer here because often indeed it is severe i've I've had bone cancer as I talk about in my book, and I know that was really, really hard on me and very painful, and I was in pain for about a year and a half until they finally figured out what was going on but but I look back at that now, by the way, the pain of my cancer, that doesn't pain me. The pain that I had 17 years ago, thinking about that doesn't cause me any pain today. I'm not in pain today thinking about the pain that I had 17 years ago, although it was severe. That's just a fact, (laughs) it's just a fact about Mm my life now. It doesn't, I'm not like shuddering, oh, that was so bad. Uh, it, It was, you know, it was bad, but I'm not, it doesn't cause me pain presently. I'm going to live, if Christianity is true, you and I are going to live forever and ever and ever, and, uh, you know, if you take a hundred year if you make a timeline, let's say you have a timeline that goes from here to the moon, um, that's how long the timeline is, your life on a timeline that goes from here to the moon would only appear as a point. Well, that timeline that goes from here to the moon... Uh, uh, if you put that on a timeline, uh, put that length on a timeline that represents eternity. That timeline of from that went from here to the moon is only a point. Uh, in fact, you could make that go way out to the Milky Way galaxy. Doesn't matter what you, the timeline. That timeline uh, is still just a point. Your your pun. Your suffering here is just a very very small part of eternity, and. That's why my biggest encouragement to Christians is we need to think a lot more about eternity, but unfortunately for most Christians, eternity is the P.S. to the Christian life. For most Christians, uh, there's this, uh, no, I'm going to live the American dream, and then, yay, I get to go to heaven when I die. Uh, no. The, the, the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, ends with these words, shall not perish, but have eternal life. The promise to you and I as Christians is that we're going to have eternal life. And if that isn't true, then Christianity is a false religion. We should all be doing something else. But if it is true, we're going to have eternal life and eternity. In fact, that's what Paul says in in, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And Paul isn't being... Hyperbolic when he says, beyond all comparison, because you cannot compare a a any p- finite amount of suffering to eternal glory. You can. it doesn't it doesn't make sense. It's just a point.
1: <laughs> no, I, I, and you know what? I, I think when it comes to your book here, why does God allow evil? One of the specific things that you go to at length at the end of the book, has to do with having a more robust view concerning heaven, because there are yeah. many Christians right now that do believe that all we're going to do is sit up on clouds and and sing, and that's all we're going to be doing for eternity. But what do you think it is that we'll actually be, be doing?
2: Well, as I mentioned just briefly, I, our occupation is— I think we will sing occasionally. We will not be singing nonstop. Uh, and I go through, as you know in the book, Six Myths About Heaven— uh, Satan has done to heaven what I call, uh, have termed extreme makeover, metaphysical addition. He's made heaven look like a place you don't want to go, uh, where we're all going to be sitting on clouds, strumming harps, sporting flightless wings, and singing the same song forever and ever and ever. Uh, that None of those things are true, not any of them. Uh, by the way, uh, well, uh, heaven is not white. That's another myth. Heaven is not white. If you look, read Revelation. If you're going to give heaven a color, the answer is (laughs) jewel-toned. Heaven is jewel-toned. Read Revelation. It's not white. Um, But our occupation is to be reigning with with Christ forever, and that means literally being in charge, that we're going to be in charge. I think of the parable of the talents where Jesus says to the guy, you've been faithful in little, I'm going to put you in charge of ten cities. Uh, You're going to be in charge. I think we're going to be in charge of things. Uh, And so that's your occupation, for sure. Uh, A a lot of questions come from that, but but just in short, our occupation is to reign with Christ. Genesis chapter 1, it says, God created man in his image and in his likeness. The next words are, and said, let them rule. The last verse, that's the first chapter of the Bible. The last chapter of the last book of the Bible, the last verse before the epilogue, Uh, The epilogue is, don't add to these things or take away from them, I'm coming Mm -hmm. quickly, that's the epilogue. The last verse before the epilogue, uh, and they will not need any more light, or the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, now here's the key words, and they will reign forever and ever. In Mm -hmm. other words, God, you're not going to be a guest in heaven, you're going to be in charge of heaven, and you're going to do this with Jesus, and you're going to do this for eternity, this is God's plan for your life. It's always been the plan.
1: Amen to that. We are talking once again with Dr. Clay Jones. We were specifically talking about his book, Why Does God Allow Evil? And once again, I want to encourage you to get this. But now I'm going to switch topics a little bit here in what I do believe is a wonderful follow-up. And if if I may, I wanted to let you guys know that I actually gave a, a sermon right after my great-grandmother had passed away. And I had listened to Dr. Clay Jones specifically talk about this book and Immortality Projects, which I'm sure we'll get into. And it was just so amazing. I, I thought so many of the things that were said in here were so Im, are so important. And I want to encourage you guys. And I would say in order, read both of these in order, because I do believe that this is a great follow-up to read. And so the book is titled Immortal, How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It. So let's just start off with asking, what led you to write this book?
2: Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I I was reading this one Christian author's book, and he he mentioned a Paris philosopher named Luke Fetty. And uh, for whatever reason, I bought Luke Fetty's book and uh, entitled A Brief History of Thought and just like in the, the sixth page of the book he said the quest for salvation without god is at the heart of every great philosophical system and that is its essential and ultimate objective and I was blown away I went, I I, I only I have a BA in philosophy but that doesn't make you a philosopher the rest of my stuff is in, in theology and but but I didn't know that, and I thought, is that, is that true? I mean, really? I mean, that's the heart of, of secular philosophy, is trying to find salvation without God. And so, and he mentioned a lot of people, and I started reading them, and I started reading others, and I started reading philosophers, and, and, and I thought, and I found he's right. I'll give you just one more. Plato said, truly, then, those who practice philosophy aright are cultivating dying, and for them, least of all men... Does being dead hold any terror? Uh, in another place he said, practicing philosophy aright uh, is, in fact, training to die easily. And I found many, many other philosophers saying that the, the, the goal of philosophy is to help us just get to get used to the idea of death. And when anyway, after reading Luke Ferry's, Fede's comment, I was in. I was in. Uh, I'm, I mean, I just had to start reading what psychologists and philosophers and sociologists anthropologists and whatnot said about death. And indeed, that's correct. Philosophy is about helping people not fear death. But then, I'll, as I said, I got off into what psychologists and sociologists and anthropologists uh, we're saying too, and they say they now believe that the fear of death is the number one problem that, that people are dealing with. Uh, not all of them, but um, um, I think now maybe even closing in on a majority of, of these academic, anyway, people who are saying the fear of death is driving this, is driving much human behavior. And so, anyway, I was, then I just was in enthralled is a good word, um, of going, I've got to figure out what, how are non-Christians dealing with death, and that became, that's why I wrote the book.
1: Well, perfect. Well, how are they coping with the fact that they are going to die?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Not well. Uh, You know, but but the biggest, one of the biggest things is, and I talk about, well, I talk about, first of all, there's literal immortality projects, and a lot of people are literally trying to live forever uh, you know, I mean, and what I mean by that is they're trying to be as healthy as they can. They're trying to do just exactly the right exercise. They're trying to do all the things that would be good physically taking supplements and and whatnot with the hope that one day science is going to fix it all. Uh, see. And so in other words, they're, and then they're going to live forever. Uh, in fact, uh, there's a, there's a lot of people, um, Like Sean Parker, the first president of Facebook, he said, you know, because I am a billionaire, I have better access to health care. And he says, I'm probably going to live to 160 uh, and then join this class of immortal overlords. Well, uh, see, the idea is if I can live to, let's say, 130 or 140 or 160 or whatever, once I get there, by that time, science will have figured it out. And when science figures it out, then I'm just going to live forever. So that's literal immortality. And then there's, there's – uh, but this, is, this next thing is what everybody's doing. Uh, without a robust view of eternal life in Jesus, everybody is, uh, has, sec, has uh, immortality projects, symbolic immortality projects, that they're going to live on through their kids. They're going to live on through doing some great thing. They're going to live on through political activism. Is trying to save the planet, is that really because you care about future generations you've never met? Is that really what's driving it? uh, Oh, I just love these generations of people that I've never met. Uh, Or is it really, I am saving the world, and that becomes my symbolic immortality project, and so I'm going to live on, by saving the world and by the way i'm not this is not a comment i'm all for recycling i'm all for taking care of the environment that's not my point my point is that an awful lot of activism is about trying to do something that will give you a sense of i'm living on past my death uh... and that's uh, writing a book um, you know i mean uh... uh Say, do, doing any k- kind of thing that saves people, making a difference, isn't, you know, just another one. Where I'll just, I'm just going to make a difference in people's lives. So there will be this ripple effect of me going on through eternity. Uh, heroism, and, but even evil things. One of the things that people don't understand that is, is that, well, they're beginning to get this. Why do people do a lot of the evil they do? They do it because they're trying to become famous. Uh, and then transcend their death through doing something really evil. For instance, the Columbine shooters did a video before they shot up Columbine and killed all those students. They did a video, and in the video they asked whether Tarantino or Spielberg was going to make the movie of their lives. Uh, the Parkland school shooter who killed 17 people said, uh, did a video before he did it. He says, everybody's going to know my name tomorrow. They're going to know who I am. See, he that's the way he's going to live on. The Las Vegas shooter that killed 851 people, uh, his brother, they asked his brother why he would do such a thing. He says, well, he always wanted to be the best in everything, so it would make me, so of course I would think he would want to have the largest casualty count. And this just goes on and on and on and on. People, if, and now news channels are realizing this, that they can't. Show this guy's picture on TV, the, these shooters' pictures, and then have one 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 episode after another, one segment after another on them. Because what it does is it goes. That's a way I can live forever. The guy that shot John Lennon, uh, Mark David Chapman, said, "I did it to steal some of his fame." Uh, and I, you know, I quote many of these examples in the book that this is why people are trying to do it. This is a symbolic immortality project.
1: Now it's it's pretty incredible, and you you show a number of quotes as well from. You know, Albert Einstein wanting to live through oh, his yeah. children and, and so forth, and, yeah. and Richard Dawkins through his books as well.
2: Yeah, you know, one thing about living on through your children, that's not going to work. In 20 generations, there's not enough of your DNA uh, in a in your offspring 20 generations away to feed a mosquito. In fact, in, in fewer than 20 generations, there might not be any of your DNA in there because there's, there's recessive and dominant DNA uh, genes. There might not be any of you in, in subsequent generation. But here's the even bigger point, as I point out in the book. I've loved to ask my students over the years. i said, so how many of you know the names of your great-great-grandparents? Uh, to date, of asking many classes, I don't think more than two students have said, I know the first names. I should say the first names of my great-great-grandparents. Then I always ask this follow-up question. Do you care? Nobody cares. I have not had one student go, oh, yeah, I really wish I knew my great-great-grandparents' first names. They don't care. (laughs) And, uh, And so the idea that you're going to live on through your children, as you said, even Einstein, we live on through our children. Lots of, I quote, lots of psychologists and people that are going, no, we live on through our children. No, you don't. You're not going to live on through your children. It's over. Uh, Live on. You know how you can live on? Live on in Jesus. That's how you live on. Live on in Jesus. Because in Jesus, you can have eternal life. And if you work hard for Jesus and not for yourself, not to build a name for yourself, if you work hard for Jesus, your works will follow you into the kingdom of heaven.
1: Amen to that. So, I mean, we're talking about, you know, the Christian worldview and being able to be saved and know we're saved, knowing uh, who Jesus is but how, would an, how are atheists handling their fear of death? Ah.
2: Yeah, you know, that was, one of the, that was one of the most interesting things, is because, as you know, um, atheists are so often like, oh, yeah, you know, you guys invented Christianity because you're afraid of death, and we're not, we can look it square in the eye. That's just simply not true. As I point out in my book, there's a higher rate of suicide among atheists than there is a, uh, among those who have some religious affiliation, uh, not only that, but but they have invented all kinds of crazinesses uh, to make themselves feel good about death. Uh, Einstein, uh, and this is following Arthur Schopenhauer, the philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer, who was tremendously who Einstein was really impressed with Schopenhauer, Einstein said, "Your life is a delusion, your individual existence is a delusion." Uh, this, by the way, is buddhism and hinduism and that's what schopenhauer thought that the vedas were sublime but this is buddhism and hinduism uh and uh, einstein bought into it it's just your think about it, your individual existence is a delusion that's how you feel good about dying telling yourself that you really don't exist as an individual that's that i mean really think about the stupidity of that um Uh, Others have gone, oh, geez, one of the big things is, this is one of the biggest things is, is you wouldn't want to live forever anyway, and so atheists are telling themselves, well, uh, if you live forever, that would become meaningless and tedious. One, I think they're talking about if you lived forever on planet Earth, because they don't believe that there's an eternal, glorious kingdom to come, but they said it would just become tedious and meaningless. I think, however, the atheists saying, oh, you wouldn't want to live forever anyway, is probably the greatest example of sour grapes in the history of all created things. No, I wouldn't want to live forever anyway. You can take your eternal life and just shove it. Uh, I, I'm fine dying. That that's just <laughs> that's dumb. Uh, <laughs> so I don't. And even a lot of the and even a lot of the atheists. I quote them in my book. Uh, in fact, Alex Rosenberg uh, at uh, I think he's a Duke. He said, you know, he says correct be- philosophical belief He says won't work for quelling death fears he says what you're going to need to do this is the last sentence of his book the last sentence of his book he says what you're going to really need to do is you're going to need to take prozac or your or any other favorite serotonin reuptake inhibitor and keep taking them until they kick in in other words rosenberg is saying uh you you're not going to be able to feel good about death you're never and he's an atheist Uh, And I think his book is entitled The Atheist Guide to Reality, and he's like, you're never going to feel good about death. He says, so take drugs. And as I mentioned in the book, an awful lot of people now are thinking that drugs is the answer. Well, there you go. Let's just get high. (laughs) We'll just get high, and that'll help us deal with our death fears. So the bottom line is, atheists are not handling death well at all. And um, and if if you really pay close attention to what they're w- w- what they write, you'll find that they even think that's true themselves.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess you probably could have thrown out the book and just uh, kept that last page. I guess if you were going with the atheistic <laughs> worldview, That's yes, right. Just take drugs. Thanks for uh, giving drugs, me, baby. Giving my giving my view on reality. I, I mean, it's just it's crazy. What a, what a crutch that is. Uh, you know, get out of. Get out of your mind. But, and, and, you know, I I find this to be interesting because, of course, we can look at the atheist and say, hey, you know, obviously you don't want to have a robust view of what the afterlife looks like. And the fact is, for Christians, we should have a robust view. And you mentioned in your book specifically, Immortal, how the fear of death drives us and what we can do about it. You mentioned that a lot of Christians actually fear death. why no, why, yes, did, why do it. they do that?
2: Yeah, that's a sad, uh, that's really a very, 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 very sad thing to me, uh, Chad. I, 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 but what happens is, is most Christians don't think about eternity, one, uh, and, and two, related to that, the reason they don't think about eternity is because eternity looks terrible. Uh, like I say, you're going to be sitting on a cloud, strumming a uh, harp, sporting flightless wings, and singing forever. That's not something that you're going to go, oh boy, I can't wait to do that. Uh, that's another problem. But here's a more insidious problem. Uh, and that is, they're in love with this present world. If you're in love with this present world, you're not going to love the Father, and you're not going to be looking forward to Heaven. And, uh, now watch, I can tie this into COVID. Uh, that's the glory, uh, that's the that's the benefit. There's not a lot of benefits to COVID, but I'm telling you, that's one of them, is to threaten our worldliness. Mm. That COVID and these kinds of things threaten our worldliness, and hopefully, for the sincere Christian, as they sense that the worldliness is threatened, they're going to cling more to Jesus and cling to His promises and get close to Him. And honestly, though, having been a Christian now for well 51 years, uh, I became a Christian two days before my 13th birthday. So now everybody knows that I'm in my early 40s. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I you know I, I mean. The, the thing about this is, is you've got to be in a position where you are valuing eternal life, and you're not in love with this world, and that and sickness and whatnot is helpful. Uh, the, the thing I was going to say about my being a Christian for a long time is, what I've learned is, and my dear Christian brothers and sisters, if you're a sincere Christian who's abiding in God's Word, get ready, because suffering is a regular part of God's plan for your life, is to take you through regular periods of suffering. In fact, my joke is... Uh, God's plan A for your life is to take you through regular periods of suffering, and there is no plan B. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, that's just it. If you're a Christian, but as Paul says in Romans five two, and we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and per- perseverance produces character. You become more like Jesus, and the and character in your life gives you hope. Because nothing in my life. The, makes me believe that christianity is true more than the fact that i have suffered i mean experientially true that i have gone through suffering and at the end of that suffering i've gone you know what i'm more like jesus than i used to be wow and that gives me hope because then i go you know this christian thing <laughs> i'm saying this facetiously right mm-hmm. uh i say you know this christian thing that everybody's talking about it's true this is the real deal it is 100 percent correct this is not. No argument can stand against historic Christianity because historic Christianity is true, and so uh, we've just got to wrap our minds around that. But again, uh, you know, the God, the Lord's going to have to use a certain amount of suffering and bring suffering into our life. What to get us off of loving this world and to refocus us on uh, loving Him and His kingdom and serving Him.
1: We are speaking once again with Doctor. Clay Jones. Specifically, on this episode, we're talking about immortal, how the fear of death drives us and what we can do about it. But we also were talking on last episode and a little bit in the beginning of this one, why does God allow evil? And once again, I, I want to just point out that these are just two great resources that I do believe Christians need to have this uh, in their library. I think you need to go through these things. And these are great ways to share the gospel, the questions that you might have on the streets. And I think having a more robust understanding rather than quips is much more important. And I really encourage you guys to grab a hold of these books and be blessed by them. And I know Dr. Jones is doing a lot of great work. I've seen you debating people on Twitter. I think that's at, at Clay B. Jones as well. And you can also get any resource we've been talking about and others, I'm sure. And I know you're working on another book as well, Dr. Jones, and you can go to clayjones.net and get them as well as read a lot of uh, different blogs that you're writing as well. And, and you know, we want to thank uh, Dr. Jones for being with us today. And I, I think you answered a little bit, but maybe I think we got about just under five minutes left. So what is the Christian's answer to the fear of death? I know you answered it a little bit, but if you can concisely uh, yeah. pattern that down for us.
2: <laughs> the Christian's answer to the fear of death is to become enthralled with heaven. And I'm glad you we're ending with that question you just asked, because I'll tell you, I'm just going to quote two scriptures, To, and this is, my brothers and sisters in Christ, this is what you need to do. I encourage you to memorize these passages. My wife and I have, we recite them to each other, along with many other passages all the time. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things, for you've died, and your life is hid with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. You're going to be glorified. You're going to have a body like Jesus' post-resurrection body. You're not going to be able to be sick. Uh, And by the way, Jesus' post-resurrection body, he ate and drank, and heaven is more often compared to a banquet in the Old and New Testament than any other thing. We're certainly going to be banqueting, among other things that we're going to be doing, uh, other responsibilities that the Lord will task us with, but we're going to be banqueting. Uh, we're going to, you know, the Scripture even says in Isaiah that we're going to eat fatted meat, in other words, well-marbled meat, and aged wine, the good stuff, uh, in heaven. Uh, but, so that passage, Colossians 3, 1-4, through 4, Set your minds on things above. Then, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, a very similar thing is said. Peter says, being self-controlled and sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Those aren't three commands. He's saying, it's not, he's saying, set, he said, be sober-minded and self-controlled so that you can set your hope fully fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, we're supposed to be heavenly-minded, and yes, and I even wrote a blog on this, I said, you know, people say, you can be so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. I said, that's dumb. No, you can't. I've never met that person. Uh, I've met people that were mystically-minded that were no earthly good, Amen. but I've never met anybody heavenly-minded They were no earthly good. And honestly, Christians, I'm, I'm not sure I've ever met that person. I've never met a person that was so too heavenly-minded. Most Christians aren't even close to being heavenly-minded. And so, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I really encourage you, start, take the, memorize those verses, and then say, Lord, help me, how do I do those things? Because that's what I need to do. I need to be like that.
1: Amen. I don't think there is a better way to uh, shore up this show today with Dr. Clay Jones, the author of Why Does God Allow Evil and Immortal? How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What we can do about it I I really wish I could have done an entire hour on each one of these books or even longer some of these I, I know we didn't even get to dive into transhumanism which you do in the book immortal as well and uh, maybe we'll have to have you back again to uh, to talk about those things but I just wanted to thank you so much dr. Clay Jones for coming on the good fight radio show and we thank you guys so much for listening and God bless you